Hi, Philip here from Trial by Stone. Before we begin on this episode of the podcast, we got to interview with the creative team behind the Emmy Award winning show for outstanding children's program, Jim Hansen's The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, with Jeff Addis, Will Matthews, and Louis Leterrier. Um, originally, this was going to be uh, one episode, but uh, due to the length of the recording, um, we, we decided to split it up into two parts. So this is part one of the interview. Um, so if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can watch the video um, video video presentation on our YouTube and our Facebook pages. Uh, so you'll find the links to those in the show notes. Uh, thank you, and I hope you'll enjoy the show. Another, Another world. world. Another time. In the age of wonder. You are listening to... Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, tea, dera, tea. Your vital essence of the dark crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea! I feel the song of Thra in my heart! Now go, you heroes of Thra! Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone. I'm your host, Philip. Just want to say thank you so much for joining for this very special episode of the podcast. Um, alongside with me, uh, of course, are my co-hosts, Jamie and Sydney. Um, and for this episode, we've got three very special guests. Um, the, the, from the people behind the show itself, the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Uh, so with us, of course, is um, uh, Will Matthews. Uh, so Will, how are you and how you doing? That's just very exciting. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. And, and of course, uh, we've got um, Jeff Addis. So Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. And I just want to say uh, Javi's very sorry uh, that he can't be here today, but uh, I heard that he might be talking with you guys separately down the road. So he sends his best and he's sorry that he's not here. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, thank you for that. And yeah, we're definitely look forward to having him on the show down the track. Uh, cause I, I know he's definitely probably got so many you know stories of his own to, to tell. So it's, it's better that way. He needs his own podcast. <laughs> yeah, like, just no, like yeah. It's like, we could probably just talk about the puppet show episode, you know, for, <laughs> that's exactly uh, right. Yeah. And of course, um, last but not least, of course, is the, the executive producer that directed all the episodes of the dark Chris H resistance, Louis Leterrier. So Louis, thank you so Hello. much. Hello. You're on the show. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> and, and I mean, first of all, I might actually start by saying, you know, congratulations on, on the Emmy win. Such an incredible victory. Um, you know, I mean, what, what was it like, you know, just scoring that Emmy? I'll start. Uh, I can tell you exactly what it was like. I was actually on the side of the freeway with my two kids at Burger King, uh, uh, feeding them French fries. Uh, uh, but you know, and and I think Jeff email uh, texted me like, oh, oh, "Holy shit, we won!" <laughs> I did not think we would win, and I was so busy on that day, and and you know, obviously, I, we we taped the, the the speech a long, long time ago, but I was like, you know, it's 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 been it's been an ex- amazing experience, but but you know, it's just winning an Emmy. I, I, I've done so many movies and so many shows. I've never won anything. Winning the biggest thing ever uh, for a show, I, I didn't think we would get it. So, uh, you know, I just didn't want to be disappointed. So, you know, Burger King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the only reason I texted him, I didn't know either. 
I was I didn't watch it either. I was so sure, I really was sure we weren't going to win. And so I stepped out and somebody was like, "Hey, you just won an Emmy." And apparently I just froze in the doorway and just couldn't believe it and just froze like that for a good minute and then I started texting people. Will was the only one who believed. Will believed. I believed. I believed the whole time because <laughs> I thought it was the most wild, insane, unique show ever and nothing could compare to it because it's so weird. Always bet on weird. <laughs> I was watching the show on TV in my mother's living room where I grew up watching awards shows and dreaming that one day maybe I'd get one. And so it was wild to be sitting there and see the show come up on the screen. And the minute they said it was a tie, I said, yeah. there's only three nominees. <laughs> if, if two people won, I gotta be one of the two, right? And I was very happy that we were. Yeah, it was a great, it was surprising for myself. I mean, Jamie, you, um, you like, Cindy and I, we were actually recording um, an episode of the podcast. We thought, oh, it's happening the next day. But then Jamie messaged me and he was like, oh, yep, they won. I was like, what, what, it's already happened? He what? caught off guard. <laughs> yes, very much so. So we had to do a live show and yeah. Jamie messaged us out of nowhere. We were like, what, are you, are you messaging us from the future? How is this happening? And then we proceeded to flip out and then frantically put all our stuff back together to get back online and record some more and um and and louis aren't they just called regular fries for you if you're french and you eat french fries they're just fries <laughs> they're freedom fries for everyone now freedom fries <laughs> how strange is it though that you tied because that doesn't happen so it's uh it's doubly amazing that not only have you won an emmy but you've won in a tie which statistically doesn't happen so it's pretty it's it's a pretty great thing I think they gave it to us because it felt bad. It was like, oh, they worked so much on this show. It was like, you know, <laughs> Emmy for effort. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing about this show took so long that I had other people like friends of mine sold shows, made shows, had those shows canceled I know, I know, while we were still just shooting. Like that's how long the process was. Whole civilizations rose and fall. I mean, literally, uh, uh, humans were born. I've had two kids uh, <laughs> on this show, so it's so it's like yeah. No, we it's it, yeah. It took us it took us forever, and 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 you know we never had a dull day. But but it's that's that's why I was like, if it, if it doesn't. Ha the nomination itself was exciting enough. And same thing, nomination, I didn't hear. Jeff is always my uh, conduit to uh, to great news. He, he emailed me, he texted me, and was like, we got nominated. I was like, where, huh? where, where did you see? I couldn't find it. <laughs> that, that's the thing I would love to know about, you know, going all the way back to when it sort of, the you know, very first started. I know for yourself, Louis, um, I mean, one of the things I was actually surprised, I think, uh, last year, um, you know, through interviews and stuff, um, that originally you, uh, for you joining the Henson Company was actually through, um, you know, starting off with working on on Power the Dark Crystal at the time. Um, so that what was that sort of experience like in very early days? Uh, yeah, no, completely. I mean, I've said it before in interviews, but it's true. It's like after Clash of the Titans, uh, uh, I, because it was successful, I was able to meet the people I wanted in Hollywood and I asked to meet uh, the Hansons, you know, Lisa, Brian, everyone. And I sat down with them and we talked about, 
you know, puppetries in general, the Dark Crystal in particular, because that's the sort of move. That's the that is the movie that I was showing my crew on um, on on uh, on Clash of the Titans, and and it's funny. Like the other, it struck me. I was like. Oh yeah, the three witches, you know, with the eye. I know what I, you know. I was showing the the ogre, the eye, and how to do this and how to use as practical, you know, as much practical, if as many practical effects as possible, and use, you know, the 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 practicability of of uh, of um, the world uh, to enhance the movie and the feel. And so I I told this to Lisa, and uh, she said, "Well, you know, we've been developing a sequel for quite a while." I didn't know actually. I didn't know that like would be interested in reading it I, I said obviously yes read it it was interesting I mean you know the you know the story because you obviously you read the thing and I was like well it's you know it's it is interesting but there are some stuff that will be difficult to do with puppets and the you know and I really wanted to do it with puppets obviously the the firelings how do you do how do you you know you don't yeah, set in fire flames, to a, yeah. you don't set fire to a puppet yeah <laughs> no. even like putting a flame next to a puppet it was yeah. a problem for us you know so um uh, so so you know we, we we talked about it we did some previews with a company called third floor which is great they work for the with george lucas um they, they had worked for george lucas now they work with everyone and and they uh and we, you know, it, that was like eight years ago. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, like you work. Yeah, I was making movies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Lisa was saying, like, we were, I was actually ha shooting in Africa, in South Africa, having meetings in LA, you know, about Dark Crystal. So she said I was still, still very uh, involved, although the movie was was not a reality. And I just loved it as much as, as, I, as one could love. And. And throughout, the, and then many years uh, later, uh, I think uh, Blanca Lista called me and said, "Would you be interested in in doing a show?" And I thought I didn't know it was like a uh, an adaptation of Dark Crystal. I said, "Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm very interested in doing shows." She said, "Well, we're thinking of possibly converting um, the Dark Crystal universe to a show." Uh, I said, "That would be very interesting. I'd love to to be involved." But no director does. No director, come you know, is part of the writing. No director directs all the episodes. So I was like, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's completely different. It would be completely different for me. But I still wanted to be involved. And when we decided to do a prequel instead of a, of that sequel, I was really really interesting because these were the questions that I was, I always asked about the world. It's like what 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 led the civilization to be destroyed and what bad choices have they made and you know how relevant is it with it is with our society today and our world so that was very 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 interesting uh, to me uh I sat down uh, with lisa again we talked about this and she said well i've got two writers i'd love for you to meet um i was like great what have they done <laughs> i can't yeah what have they done i you know and i and it's nothing just, well i mean you know they, they 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 finished school that's you know they they they, they have their driver's license and uh they're coming to pitch us uh, you know a take and that's when will and jeff came in and that's when i fell in love with them and their storytelling i guess for yourself like jeff and will like how you both got involved with um age of assistance like you know this was something uh of course we have heard you know from you know the documentary that initially you sort of in a way sort of cold called the henson company because you initially wanted to, to pitch like a labyrinth sequel 
and of course you know down the track they're like well you know we we're not doing labyrinth but we're doing dark crystal and so how, how did you sort of approach all that for you yeah yeah it was it was will credit to will who convinced uh me that we should sort of have our agent cold call who very nicely did um we thought it was a sequel movie we found out it was a prequel tv show we were like great we'll come back we came back louis was in that meeting it was really fast like louis was in like the second meeting we had um and then we remember pitched, when we met, remember us, how we met remember how we met yeah we met in like, the lobby you know that lobby you guys went you know with the you know with the i think it's the group no it's the ornamentalist right and kermits and all that stuff and we were there and i didn't know what they looked like i mean again they've done they've done nothing and they i think they didn't know what i looked like so we were sitting across from each other like you know you would one would wait in the lobby we they, knew it was you louis we knew it was you because you checked in after us and you're like, hi, I'm Louis for Lisa. And we didn't know you were going to be in the meeting. So Will and I started whispering to each other like, I think that's Louis Leterrier and I think we're pitching Louis today because we didn't know you were even going to be in it. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and we, sat down. we sat down and started talking. Actually, they always play Dark Crystal or something. There's like a little, you know, 80s video DVD player, right? That plays something, and I think wasn't there like some something. Anyway, that's when we. That's how we met. It, it was like, and because Jeff and Will, you know, when you got on involved with the show, uh, was that during a time when it was like potentially going to be like as an animated series at the time, or was it when they were like uh, that 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 they're actually going to do puppets, and that's sort of how, you know, no, a, things, a lot of a lot of sons had to line up to make this mm. thing happen the way it did. I mean, there's just a lot of luck and timing. And so we just happened to cold call and meet with Lisa basically right after, I mean, a, I mean, a couple months right after the decision was made to abandon the animated approach and go for a live action puppet approach. So we weren't part of that decision. We didn't know that that had even been a discussion. We just were told puppets, prequel, and we said, okay, here's what we think. So here's a more specific question for you then. So you're interested in Labyrinth. That's not going to work out. How do you back up artistically, creatively, and say, okay, now let's get our heads into this world? Where were you on the spectrum in terms of interest for the Dark Crystal? I'm sure there's a nostalgic interest in it. How did you... Obviously, nostalgia is a great thing, but nostalgia doesn't often tell a very good story you gotta it's got to be more than that how did you guys back up and then i'll say and then i'll say okay let's find a way into this what was that pro process like we started out on two kind of different places on the fan spectrum for dark crystal and so the first thing i did was turn to jeff and say what do you want to do because i knew he knew everything that needed to be known and so where do we start? And then together you start building it brick by brick with two different perspectives. But the beginning was really if if Jeff could play in his in his favorite childhood movie, what would you want to do, buddy? And the answer was this thing. Um, and we knew so, we were also given some parameters, right? We knew it was a prequel. They had written the first book. They knew that it was that Rianne needed to be the lead or at least one of the leads. Um, because they had very specifically set him up in the book and then sort of drifted, not drifted, but like didn't focus on him. So they knew that that was going to be what it was going to be. So we had some parameters and some things, but that was, that was really kind of it. Um, how Rianne found out about the draining was 
pretty well set so yeah like even during i think the animated stage i think that that was that sort of always the case i think even back then before then i think right yeah i think so i think the animated show the plan was to cover much of the same time period and but was this cover the same time period and focus on Rianne, but obviously it was a younger skewing show and we we created a lot of the characters when we came in you know brea deet hop none of them were part of um the dark crystal as it existed before we came on uh the only one i really know of was was Rianne and i think the hunter and some of that world stuff was there after their great conjunction i mean that's the thing like sort of you know when you're trying to break down you know these you know when you got when we got got the green light for doing um 10 episodes of dark crystal um i i know i know originally that like the big well the plan was you know potentially to do 10 episodes as sort of a one big overall story um how did that came about to you know to focusing of of you know well here's this you know big pitch that initially you know was you know possibly going to be the case but then decide to sort of break the story in half and almost in a way to sort of you know to sort of expand the world um much more and um that sort of help you know we're breathing more room with the storytelling um in that way i'm trying to remember will who literally told us i i, I have a memory of and maybe it's wrong if it's i think it was teddy who just sort of leaned over and was like you know that there's like a lot of story here and maybe you need to kind of slow it down a little and you're like Oh, okay, but it Every, was like that gentle yeah. a conversation. No, it was no, not but like it was a mandate. Yeah, it was. In, it was the, the pitch was amazing, and the, you know, you guys are. You, you have to hear Will and Jeff. Will, I mean, hear and experience and see Will and Jeff pitch. It's amazing. You, they, they. It's Kabuki. Uh, you know, Dark Crystal. It's incredible. And Jeff, with his massive hands, will wave them across the room and impress everyone. And you know, and no, but so 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 the the pitch was incredible and so detailed and was telling was was painting this incredible civilization and this world and that you know the fall of this civilization etc cetera, etc cetera. and yeah you everybody was coming out not only will and jeff but you know the audience was coming out exhausted out of this pitch so so it was very it was not it was not out of necessity but out of passion that that teddy said yeah we, there's so much story and it, it's all so great. It, it was not like you can cut this and you can cut this and you can cut that, then you make this. It was like, but this is so important. And you have to understand that Teddy, Ted, Ted Buscelli, he's the, he's the biggest Dark Crystal fan. He will know it in and out. I mean, he knows everything. He knows he's, he's the pop culture genius of this world. You know, he's you know, the master nerd. He's, he's, he's a less green Yoda. But he's sort of like this, this person, he's so passionate that he was like you have to keep this because that will ref you know, that that will uh, sort of like you know echo into the the movie and that he knew everything so there was nothing to throw away so how do you do when you don't have when you cannot throw any, any anything well you have to you know go longer so that's what he suggested and and it wasn't even just a matter of like cutting it literally in half because what happens is when you say okay this feels like the natural they sort of left it to us they had a suggestion they left it to us but then some things get pulled forward some things get pushed back it becomes kind of a new thing it's the same story but it wasn't just like all right let's literally cut it in half because you always want to make it feel as complete as possible so now it's a new arc so 
it's all the same larger story, but we still had to go in and massage and do some stuff. Even with the 10 episodes, even though it's like, oh, you know, there's still more stories to come, um, that the way that the show, you know, it, it did have sort of like a full story to it. And um, I think that was what, you know, what was great, you know, that just having that more, you know, the more time, that breathing space to really, you know, establish, you know, the, the world of Thrar and um, everything that happens uh, before the, um, uh, before things go down. So, yeah, no, it's really cool. And it was great to have that space to discover. If we had been allowed to do all that we had pitched, we would not have discovered, for instance, Celadon's arc. I don't know that that Hop would have been yeah. so deep. And so that, you know, initial moment of, you know, some of the story you want to tell, you have to hold off until later can feel like a loss. But going through the process, it was better for the show. Yeah, Louis was really the one who, who pushed us to flesh out Celadon, who looked at the three sisters and said, there's, there's more there than you're realizing. And so that Celadon was a, a, a detail at best in the pitch, maybe a throwaway line in the original. I don't version. think Celadon was in the pitch at all because I don't think she was in the books yet. I think I remember I was I remember the day I ran into the writer's room because we were you know you're always rewriting the pilot even after you get picked up for the room and I think I just whispered to Jeff like there's another sister we got to we got to put her in the in the room with Bray at the beginning just... <laughs> That sounds true. <laughs> That's so weird to try to imagine um what with that whole aspect of the story not as intrinsic as it is it's just it's it's so memorable it's it sticks with you and Celadon's character I think is such an important message um we're gonna do an episode pretty soon where we get into a whole character deep dive on Celadon and um you could just talk for hours about how important of a lesson she teaches to everybody and that's just that's I that's what I do this for is to find out tidbits like that. That's just like, you can't just go Google that. You know what I mean? Like it comes from the, the personal process. And, and also I think a, a huge part of it comes from the fact that everyone who was brought on to age of resistance, we keep hearing all of these stories about you all being fans, the, the Henson company and the dark crystal franchise in general, the original movie just meaning so much to you personally and having that, that connection as a fan. And I think that's what makes the difference. This isn't a job. This is a, I mean, it, it's a passion. It's, it's Louie actually said recently in an interview that I read yesterday that um, it's, it's not necessarily what pays the bills. It's what feeds your soul. And I think um, that, that really shows. So all this to just circle back to, to the question, I guess, of do you guys feel, I mean, whoever feels like they want to jump in first, do you guys feel like there, there's a line between, you know, fanboy <laughs> and, um, you know, feeling that duty to carry a torch, you know what I mean? Um, and then the part of you that's schooled in doing things correctly and following structure and following rules and then the part of you that's, no, I'm in love with this franchise, that's telling me this, we have to focus on this character because X, Y, Z. Like, do you feel like that line between artist and fan is something that comes naturally for you to walk and and um, contributed to the process for you? Or is that actually a duality that you grapple with? That's a good question. 
I think for I think for Thanks. me is Briatis coming to the stage. Uh, here we go. I it's it's complicated, and the truth is that it switches almost from moment to moment sometimes. So you walk in first as a fan. Somebody says Dark Crystal, and your brain explodes because somebody has just mentioned that there's a job and a way to work in a world that you grew up on, and so your brain fritzes out for a moment, and then the next thought is, what am I going to do? And how am I going to tell a story? And what's the story that we want to tell? And then that part of your brain takes over. And that's the storyteller part of your brain where you say, there's a story here. What are we holding on to? What do we have to say? And you start talking. And I start talking to Will. And then I start talking to Louie. And then we're all talking together. And Joe's talking. And Lisa's talking. And it evolves. And you start to become the stewards of this new story. And I think that part of the brain largely takes over. And then there's moments. There's moments when you walk onto a set. There's moments when you see a puppet. There's moments, it's a lot of firsts. The first time you see a Skeksy, the first time you walk onto a set, the first time you see a Gelfling, the first time you see new Brian Froud concept art, that my brain for a moment goes, oh, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. And then the next moment is, okay, how does it fold into the story? So that's my experience of it, is a lot of these sharp spikes where the fanboy and you squeeze, squeeze, isn't that the word? Squeals, just yeah. squee. And then, and then you, the storyteller part of your brain takes over. That would be my answer. I don't know. I'd be very curious to see, see what the other two say. Well, yes, you definitely start as a fan. Um, but there are many different ways to be a fan. And so I, I liked that throughout the whole production, Writer's Room Everywhere, there were many different kinds of fans. So there were people who knew everything, and there were people who just like, I don't know, I like the movie. I, you know, because David Bowie was so good. And you're like, oh, but that's the other... Great, great. Good to have you here. Everyone's happy to be here. Great. I mean, but that's, that's valuable, too, because they're coming with love. It's not about fun facts and tidbits. It's not a trivia contest. It is an expression of hope. That's what Jim Henson's work so often boils down to. And if you resonate with that message, you are welcome on the team. And so then you figure out, as Jeff say, how, how to tell the story and how to tell a new story with pieces that you inherited and pieces that you create. But you're always, we, we were always talking about why. Why this character? Why this story? Why this show? Why now? Why this puppet? And sometimes you need a good answer to justify the budget. But most of the time, you need a good answer to delve deeper into the story. And so the simple example of Louis saying, there's more here with the sisters. Well, why? Well, there's three sisters. Each of them are different. Well, what does that mean? Well, they're different in the, how they are princesses. What's their relation to their mother? What's the relationship to each other? And you just start, you just start going. And so you want to service the material. But the most important thing is to celebrate it. And that's not the same thing. And it's also a collection of fans that come in with different point of views, different love. It, you know, so for some people, it resonated for the poetry, for other people, the, the puppets, for other people, the horror, for other people, this. And you, you assemble your crew based on this. And yeah, and like, like Will said, like some people just were completely confused about which movie was what, was which, but still they had, they, they were so passionate about it. And then they, we started working and creating, a, you know, for example, the writer's room and the ideas were coming from everywhere. And, you know, I was sitting in my you know, corner listening to everything and said, you know, this, 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 this. And it was kind of interesting to sort of like 
pick a you know make a story out of excitement of everybody's excitement same thing on set with designs we had lots of people from the creature shop uh, 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 the Jim Henson's Creature Shop, but also Brian Fred's designs. Then you had to translate this with uh, a team in England, uh, John Nolan and his team uh, that were creating that stuff, and then build build a world with Gavin Bouquet, our production designer, who was not involved in the original one, but had to bring you know his own creativity and his own aesthetic, but also respect the original designer, Brian Fred, but also the other designers. Uh, uh, vision and we had to do all that stuff and it's like checks and balances Daniel Pemberton uh, uh, music uh, compared to the original music and so you know it's just you, you have to find your identity my thing which because I you know I had done the I, I tapped I'd done Marvel movies I had done you know uh, Clash of the Titans I had done stuff before I also kept put my ear on the <laughs> on the uh, on the rail of true fandom and that's when I discovered you guys <laughs> that's why I was like hey, that must be a podcast and that must be a you know Facebook page that must be this and I sort of like typed in never never you know sort of like you know raised my hand but you know sort of like listened in onto your guys conversation and it was very interesting because when you were talking about what you liked about Joe's books I was like, yeah, the fans really like this. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, the fan and the and the zeitgeist are very different things. You guys can be, you know, you guys could be obsessing about certain things that the you know the overall zeitgeist doesn't really care. You know, the you know the, the normal people that don't know what uh, that didn't know that the original movie existed. And something we said in the very beginning is sort of like, yeah, Dark Crystal is thirty-seven year is a seven-year-old uh, movie. Most of the people that will see this movie, this show, will have never seen the original movie. So how do you conquer this thing? So starting from the top, establishing establishing real characters, characters that resonate, uh, creating a a real you know my, to tell you the truth, you know the, the the story of the three sisters. It was just because it's so well established. The rule of three on thrice so well established. I was like. Did you know if Joe wrote you know if we write something if Joe created this thing if something is you know written through it's because they really matter the 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 triple the the polarity the triple I don't know if there's a word for that but the triple attraction to three things and the, the interdependence exactly needs needs to be important so every time we were creating rules of threes they were very important so therefore the sister were that you know so it's not that you know that genius of a thing it's more like yeah I got I. I, my understanding from seeing the original, loving the original movie, uh, working with Brian Fraud, the, the Hansons, etc., etc., and then really listening to the fans and how the rule of three is very important for you guys. I was like, okay, well, you know, Celadon must be important. Let's, you know, let's let's flesh her out. Uh, that's that's, a, that's amazing, and um, I, I guess you know when you were breaking down the story, you know, of course there was so many characters that was introduced to the show um and of course you know especially i mean for the skexies in in particular um though of course you know you i know for a show like this you know you i mean yeah there could have been that possibility of you know oh introduce have all the skexies in the show but that might have been a bit too much to you know to put in the one show so um so were there characters like you know you know through you know when you were breaking down the story that that almost made it that made the cut uh Oh man, the thing oh, is, there was we a know whittling. Anyway. There was a whittling. Yeah, yeah. If any name we say is going to make somebody sad, 
when I'm like, and then we, we cut that. Yes, there was a lot of talk about that. And part of it is decided by Joe's books, right? So that we know that a character that I love, like the satirist, needs to be off in the books in the caves of Grot. That's where he ends up there. So the timelines get murky, so we can't really use the satirist. Or we know that this person is going to be a big part of Joe's third or fourth yeah, book. Yeah, like Skeksai, so yeah, yeah. we shouldn't really use them. Exactly. And also, sometimes a character like Skeksai is so great, maybe we're going to save it. Or our decision to not use uh, the Gartham Master from the film in the show. That was an early decision that we made. So, because we knew that we wanted to save him and what his role was going to be later yeah, on. Of course, so yeah. it, was a, it was a lot of talk. Yeah, and I think it would make you very sad to hear names that we threw out that we might get to see and then we were like, not now. And there were budget considerations. Um, not only in terms of the expense but in terms of the time it takes to build all of these incredibly intricate characters. And so initially, you know, of course as a writer you go in and you want all the toys and you get told we can't afford all of them. But then and hey, that's budget, that's fine you go and do the best you can. But then there are production limitations. Like, well, you can have all these characters, but you can't have them all at once. So some are going to come later. And at first, that's frustrating. But if you lean into it, it can really help the show. So that's, I mean, that's why the hunter comes in so late. Thank God he does. What a great way to build him up and save him. But if we hadn't been given that limitation we probably would have done too much too soon. And so sometimes, a lot of the time in writing, you really do want boundaries to push against. Although you do notice that the ornamentalist comes in very late and she's like, yeah, I was off collecting tides. And it's, <laughs> the reality is that that puppet wasn't ready. And so <laughs> her, her, her entrance a little late. But what, what was great about that was, uh, Louis, I don't if you remember this on set, we had never really had the ornamentalist on set before until her first scene in episode six or whenever she shows up, four. Um, and we didn't know what Alice was going to really do for the voice. I didn't anyway. And I just remember sitting there, the first take they did, and Alice doing the voice from inside the Skeksy, that weird sort of like, ah, voice. And we were all just like, that is amazing. What was that? It sounds completely different from the film, but also seemed so perfect. She's not the only one. I mean, literally every puppet was coming in the day. I was discovering puppets the day. Uh, Jeff... So so the way the way the way it works so so we you know Jeff Javi Will you know uh, you know Gary you know everybody we we had like an amazing writers room uh, in LA then you know everybody was there and then we started building but then these writers producers stayed back uh, 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 you know Vivian Lee all these you know Joe was part of this you know stayed back and and when Will just had a baby so he stayed behind and then Jeff who was you know this this you know. You know you, you 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 know, I was like, come with me to come with me to London. We're gonna live there for a couple of years. And he came with me, and he was like, really the the, the producer, the, the he and and uh, Rita Perugi were the only Hanson, you know, history Hanson, uh, historical Hanson uh, people there. So uh, uh, you guys were prepping <laughs> the, the puppets, and then and then and then at night when I was I was. After every day of shooting, I was literally exhausted, and it was like, "Please come, come, come see this puppet. I have to show you. I have to show you because tomorrow they're playing. This tomorrow they're playing." And remember the the, the 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 you know the crystal chamber, whatever the, the 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 that day we did like the the day when all the 
in episode five when uh, the uh, dream space the, the, that's the first time I discovered Deet I discovered uh, uh, who else like you know oh the Almadra the Almadra the Almadra Naya Naya we've seen Gurgen Gurgen I, I was think like, Kylan yeah. that was the yeah. first time we saw Kylan yeah. Like all of those puppets, we had never seen really. No on one camera. knew. No one, and even the puppeteers, they were like, they didn't know. Like you know, poor Becky. She was like, and here's the the most important. She was like, I don't know. Oh, it's kind of heavy. Oh. <laughs> and then, you know, so people, they were trying. It's funny because if you look at that scene, you're like, yeah, everybody was like trying stuff. So from shot to shot. So we, you know, and I overcovered this because I didn't know how we were going to do. You know, what the evolution of the characters will. You know, do a little bit this way, do a little bit that way, and then we afterwards in the editing room match them to their you know that their later performance when the puppeteers and you know ourselves had found the the essence of the uh, of, of the character so it was very much it, it was funny but yeah every it was every day was like this you know yeah your 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 down fan favorite freckles i remember i've because I, I was looking through pictures that he could have he at one point he looked horrible remember jeff he had like you know he was like yeah we we made him sexy yeah you you guys made him sexy <laughs> was... behind yeah yeah toby toby every night was like no no he was bringing it back thank like, you oh, no yeah yeah you're welcome you're welcome, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah but if you watch that if you watch that scene because because um louise hadn't really done the almadra before the almadra is much broader in oh, yeah. the dream space and much grander than she ends up being very reserved. But if you watch that scene, she's like, damn, you tell me where we are. And she's much more <laughs> just, dramatic know, yeah. than yeah. where she became later. And it's because that was like, literally they like threw the puppet at Louise and like, you're we, the Almadra, here we yeah. go. It was we really couldn't fast. We, we basically rehearsed with puppets I bought on Amazon, like, you know, that looked like, uh, and we were like, like when we did the rehearsal, then we had to start shooting. And then, you know, we still had those puppets, you know, and then, and then we, you know, they were rehearsing on their own and I was coming at night in the rehearsal space to to to, to play to to sort of like catch up on the work that had been done but yeah the morning up was when the we were finding the scene there was never something that was it was it was it, it was Dark Crystal but it was Dark Crystal on the TV schedule and it was just this it was just like you have to go you have to go you have to go so it's just we're working all the time shooting all the time creating all the time and and credit to really the creature toby and the creature shop that were building repairing fixing making things lighter uh, you know the puppeteers also that were sort of like working behind the scenes to to be, we were literally uh, building <laughs> the, the road as the you know the caravan was like you know running fast and, fast, and fast, we fast. were also rewriting the road a lot as we went too so will would be rewriting while i was asleep and i'd be rewriting during the day and often we're rewriting scenes the day before we shoot or sometimes there's photos of me rewriting on the day um which is very scary when you're on a puppet schedule because you gotta you gotta tell everybody with it. But I would be running over to the puppeteers and being like, "Your line is this," and they'd write it down and stick yeah, it to their monitor. Yeah, yeah. because at night I would come, I would prep at you know, Jeff and literally Jeff and I we arrived the way the way it was working like we took the train, <laughs> we we the the the. the it was not, nothing was fancy on Dark Crystal. So I was riding my little bicycle to the train station, sometimes with Jeff, sometimes, not, you know, meeting Jeff there. So sometimes we were working on the train. We, you know, hopped off the train, had breakfast, had three back-to-back -back meetings, started shooting, 
prep that night and Jeff and I were closing. I mean, we we're finishing at, uh, you know, that's why, you know, I, you know, we, we talk, about, I don't know if you want to talk about the fire, but I, I was always there because there was always something, you know, we were always late. There was, we you were always, so I was, we were working so much because of this and Jeff and I were there all the time and I was like at night, I would come to the to, to his uh, office I was like you know that scene tomorrow it doesn't work uh, write this this you know, like, you know, <laughs> oh, sure. so he would do a pass send it to Will Will would you know Will was like why why <laughs> five years <laughs> why you know, we we thought we agreed it's like yeah no Louis said it's impossible yeah. he doesn't <laughs> yeah. Louis would be like Will would be like none of that works I'm like it doesn't matter I'm going to sleep have, yeah. we gotta have it in and he would be up to Will to me kind of like get it I'd send him a shape often and We'd, we'd reshape it and then I'd reshape it again and then we'd show it to Louis and we'd do it on set and rewrite it again, you know? And it was often, it was that fast. But then I remember I would leave at like 10 p.m. often and Louis would still be there and he'd be like, oh, you're going home, lightweight. And, and we were like the only two left. And he would make fun of me for leaving at like 11 p.m. And I'd be like, Louis, you gotta go Well, home, but yeah, my, go. my, my challenge was the train schedule. I had to take the first train in and the last train out, you know? So, so you know, yeah, that's, that, that literally was, you know, from like 5 a.m. to 1 a.m. But everybody, and I also want to be clear, that like everybody worked so hard. Most of my memories of Toby Froud are him running back from a place that I just, so like I'd walk to the creature shop, he'd be running back from the creature shop. I'd head back, I'd head over to Fabrication, he'd be running back from there. And I'm like, how did you even get there ahead of me to be running back from it? He was always just running somewhere with like glue or they, you know something broke there was a problem um everybody worked that crazy you know hard. We, uh, you know jimmy and, and phil we talked about like we would have loved to have you on set we had lots of guests coming all the time because it was very it, we had lots of guests because it was like a cool it was like a dark crystal town with like its own restaurant its own you know its bathrooms it's like it was like you know it's it's green room with a piano where the puppeteers could be artistic uh and sing and uh and no it was really it was really you know our own gym like you know at first it was fine and afterwards we had like a few masseurs masseuse on uh, on on staff for some reason uh but like uh, uh no but it was like it, it was it was just a, it was exciting and and exhausting and and all contained but really smartly put together by you know the Hanson and you know our two produce all credits to Rita Peruji uh, you know uh, who's the Hanson producer because she really was like you know her and Tim Wellspring our two producers were absolutely incredible and now the like a bunch of amazing ADs that that you know Ollie Robinson was the the first for the longest, but then you know Zoe Liang came afterwards, and we had like amazing people working and really being passionate about this. So, so what you were talking about, you know, being fans of the work, they were fan of what everybody was a fan of what we were trying to achieve. There was no one was uh, sarcos and you know grunting their way to the set. Everybody was like, yeah, this is fun. Well, and especially when you get to the the puppeteers, I mean, because Dark Crystal is considered such a pinnacle of puppeteering. So then you've got the puppeteers who all know it. You know, you're never calling a puppeteer in England and saying, do you want to come in on the Dark Crystal? And they go, what's that? Like, it just doesn't happen. This is this is the pinnacle. So it's it was it was it was like a, a city of fans. But but Rita and Tim really did put together like a, it felt like a small city. It did have a, a restaurant and a. When Louie and Jeff talk about how hard everyone works, it's important to remember that everyone, no matter how experienced they were in their field field or even with puppets, no one had done anything like this before. And so everyone on 
every level was doing the best they could. There was nothing to base it on. So when they talk about how hard it is to make things run on time and how well Rita and Tim were able to do it, you have to remember they weren't able to pull much from other movies they worked on or other shows. I mean, when you're shooting a scene, you can't pull that much from other things because no one's really shot something like this. And so Louis was sort of reinventing how to shoot puppets every time he shot a puppet. And the puppeteers, no matter how experienced they were, because Louis was shooting them differently than how Jim and Brian did, they were relearning a new thing. And so everyone, writing for puppets, performing the puppets, shooting the puppets, at every level, everything had kind of never been done in this way, at this scale, before. I have a, uh, a couple of questions. Um, number one, this is a technical question. When you guys are rewriting pages or dialogue, do they have to go through approval? Or do you just do what you need yes. to do and everyone's cool with that? Yes, they have to all go through approval until you... It until never you is everyone's cool with that. There's never... And then, look, by the end, and they trusted us. We knew the voice. More in the beginning, they're watching over you. And then as it goes on, it just gets... We know the show really well. We know the voices really well. Not really is the truth. I mean, it would be Louie. And, and a lot of times it just came down to us on the set being like... Let's do this. But but yeah, I mean, all that. But they were very involved, if that makes sense. Like, there's just things that had to change in the moment. But but anytime we reissued a new script, I think Lisa was always one of the first to read it. Like, you'd wake up in the morning and she, she'd have read the new script that we issued overnight. And she was very, very, very involved. And she knows that world very, very, very well. The beauty of Netflix is that once they trust you, it's forever. You know, sort of like, yeah not see you at the premiere because they'll check in and come in very excited from time to time but like it's it's they you don't need to smell maybe you do i don't know i just i wasn't part of the nitty-gritty of that stuff but they never i never got a note from teddy saying well that line or this or that it was more it was more uh, do you think you can make it work yeah i think it's gonna work okay great and that was that um, yeah there certainly weren't any especially the later you go there aren't any petty or stupid notes um, it's, the later you go, the more it's really about production. The more it's about that puppet broke. She can't be in that scene today. Or it turns out they can't pick that up. We thought they could, but they can't. So you got to rewrite the scene so that they don't have to pick it up. It, it's really more that stuff. But you got to do that stuff. There's no arguing with, well, find a way to pick it up. They know puppets. And so you write around that. But I don't really like that line. I mean, that that doesn't really happen that much. Except from Louis, but I, I think it's a That's language barrier. No, sometimes yeah, it doesn't work. Really, uh, no, sometimes it doesn't work. So I was like, oh, this, is, this, 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 is, this doesn't work. I mean, the, you know, poor Jeff, sometimes I was coming with him. You know, I was like, Jeff, I don't, I, I remember one day coming to you and be like, you know, this, I hate that. She's changing. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> what it was? I don't, I, I Please don't tell remember. Us. I, I don't spicy. remember. Get spicy. What did you hate? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't, I don't remember I what like, he hated. Uh, I Do you remember office. what character it was? I remember that we had to add in episode two, we realized that there was a problem of we needed to see Deet walking around in the world. So there was a scene that we wrote that I wrote very last minute for the Fizz gig, where she runs into the Fizz gigs. 
And yeah. that scene came from, like, we're shooting that, like, tomorrow we have an opening. Yeah, 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 so we need a scene, and you got to use puppets that we have. So I remember I, like, first wrote a scene where there's a giant thing in a bush, and you would see tentacles reach out, and Deet would be like, ah! And you'd never really see what it was. And then Lisa hated that. And then I think I wrote something else that you hated. And then eventually it came down to, like, we got fizz gigs. And I was like, all right, we're going to do a thing so that it, you would think that Deet was going to get a fizz gig friend, which I thought was fun. But I think that came that came from, like, Literally, Lisa was on set that week, and I'm just sitting there, and I was like... Yeah, no, and so, so that day... So I remember, I remember that day, and it was funny, because, yeah, it was like, Deet explores the world and discovers... And we, it was, like, basically what we had. So we had to sort of, like, animate and make the world magical and everything, but we didn't have enough puppeteer that day because it was kind of improvised. And then walked in Netflix, and Carolina, Gar- Carolina Garcia, our exec, and I was like... Carolina, how about you put your bag here and then I'm going to run you under the stage. I'm going to teach you how to uh, be a puppeteer and you're going to be one of the monster plants. And she was one of the things and she's like, yeah, for like, she came, she, she had just, you know, she took the red eye just to, you know, arrive to England and she was being like this sort of like, you know, this plant that has those plumos coming in and out, you know, that, 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 that's, that's, uh, that's Carolina Garcia. That would happen because like, we literally decided to shoot that scene last minute and get it in. And the, so the world is, the shot is deep walking through the world. So everything's got to be alive. I like we that. Just, like, we didn't have like 40 puppeteers we needed overnight. So I think we were, everybody's under the stage, like moving stuff. I remember the gobbles. We, we, we got a bunch of, of kit people to just use their backs to like do up and down squats for a while. Like sometimes it's all hands on deck. So the second, my second question is a larger question in terms of the P word prequel. Obviously they're divisive. They can be a lot of them aren't successful, whether it's sequels or prequels. Do you, did you, did you guys go in? Of course you have to go in and just do the job, tell the story, you know, that that's laid out for you that you, but are you also aware of why they didn't work before and why this has to work now. Um, and of course, a lot of that can be left up to, we do, we do our best, we turn in our best work, we, you know, you do, you do your best directing, you do your best writing and let the pieces fall where they may. However, there is history, there is there are lessons to be learned from other films or shows or whatever where those prequels or sequels didn't work out. So I'm wondering if you guys saw the why as you were approaching Dark Crystal to adjust it. It's not only prequels, it's sequels. Sort of like, you know, you, it's, you, especially when you go 37 years after somebody has done something, it's kind of like, yeah. Uh, it, it, so it, it, it's very tricky to, to do that. But ultimately for me, what got me excited as the director and therefore the, the first audience member, because I'm not the writer, was, oh, I will get answers to the question I've asked myself for 37 years. Uh, although I'm 32, which is very strange, but um, uh, no, but yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, but literally it's sort of like, that's, that's, no, it's, it's, uh, that, that for me was like, yes, that's when, when Blanca and Lisa told me that they were going this way, I said, that's the right, that's the right way to go. And then think, you know, come with me and then we have to find amazing writers that have done nothing before and that's how we're going to crack it. But, you know, we were, you know, we were, <laughs> we were, I was like, this is the way, this is the way to go. And I think, I think that's when we had to have, you know, the most amazing, the smartest and the most uh, educated take on the world of the Dark Crystal. Therefore, that's why, uh, you know, Jeff and Will came. 
so I think there was a big question you had to answer about it, which I'm nervous to even say what that big question is, but I think if you know what it is. Uh, here's, here's the thing. I think the trap of prequels is to answer the why. Why did this happen? How did this happen? How did they get their name? Why did they wear that hat? And I think ultimately nobody cares. I keep remembering the Patton Oswalt routine. I don't care about where the things I love came from. I just love the things that I love. And so there's some big questions you have to answer, but you don't really need to explain everything. And it definitely helps that we're so far ahead. These are different characters except for the Skeksis. So you can do fun stuff with the Skeksis, and we certainly did answer the question of why, say, the scientist uh, lost an eye, has a mechanical eye, but that came out of the story of the scientist was in trouble and we needed to see that the Chamberlain was the best in the group. We didn't come into that scene saying, how did the scientist lose his eye? We came into that scene saying, why is the Chamberlain the best and the smartest and the one who consistently comes out on top? And then if you can answer a lore question, fine, but it should never be the goal. The goal is to tell the story, and if along the way you have an opportunity to throw in an Easter egg, great. And then sometimes don't do it because it's too much, but there are some things we don't need to know. Um, so it's a balance again, but I think that the trick is story first. Yeah, I think the trick is always story first. I think that's right about pretty much every situation. Um, the playwright David Mamet had this line that uh, I think about in these moments. Um, the executives will want you to convey information but the audience wants you to convey drama. And so I think that's that's what my version of what Jeff said, this idea of the goal is not to be right. It's not to cross the T's and dot the I's. You can do that. It's fun. But the goal is a new story within an existing world or a world that partially exists and you're fleshing out. So in terms of specific pitfalls or examples that went before... I don't, I mean, we didn't, we didn't really talk about those specifically in the room. I think we just talked about what's this story. How is the, how do we tell this story with these characters in this world? And people would throw out things they want to know or things they want to see. You know, everyone was like, I got to see a fizz gig. We got to do fizz gigs. So then you find a place to do fizz gigs. We got to do podlings. I love podlings. So you do, but we don't do, here's the first day a podling stepped on Thra. Because what's the drama there? The drama there is the first day a podling stepped on Thra and didn't know where he belonged. Well, that's a story about someone finding where he belongs in this world. It's not a fun fact encyclopedia entry about where podlings come from. So what's the story you're trying to tell? And if you need to get some fun facts out, call it exposition, you can do that when Deet meets P uh, Hup. She doesn't know this world, and he doesn't know her world. And so when they grow closer to each other, you can learn more about their respective backgrounds. But the goal of that scene is these two unlikely people forming a kinship. So the goal is always drama, not information. And the Easter eggs for you guys, for the fans, yeah, there's a couple in the story, but there are so many visual and not in the foreground, deep, deep, deep in the background. So therefore it's, it's fun for you and everyone that, you know, discovered the world of Dark Crystal then went back to the movie then goes back and, back and forth and be like oh yeah, yeah and not only Dark Crystal I put a lot of stuff from other big 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 franchises in there that you can you know discover and see so um, uh, uh, and so so there you know it's a lot of homages and it's a lot of stuff and that you know I think we all do that and it's kind of fun it's kind of like you know it's a it's a 
you know, treasure map of a, of a, of a show, not a, yeah, it's not in your face all the time, which is much better. What I do love about the characters is oftentimes in, in shows, you, oh, here's a character here, here's a character. Eventually, what happens? Let's cut to their how they got here. And of course, you don't do that in Dark Crystal. I don't think it would serve, but it happens all the time in shows. All of a sudden, you meet this character, you're meeting characters, and then there's the cutaway to or the dissolve to who they were before, the lost sort of. Um, this is what they were before, and now they're here. And I think with strong characters, you don't need a background. That's why Alien is so great. They're amazing. You don't need to know where they came from. You need to know how they're dealing with the situation that they're in. And I, one of the great things of many about this show is that we didn't need to know who Brea's father was or the girl's father were. They were strong on their own. They worked. It, there was no big why because what was in front of them was big enough. And I just think it's... It was refreshing. It was refreshing to not go that route of, oh, look, flashback. Oh, look, another character, flashback. Who are they? We didn't need it. Uh, the world didn't need it. And that's hard to do. It really, really is. And you guys did it so successfully. It was uh, uh, the guy's idea to create a misdirection on the story and to have the lore being the story of Dr. of uh, Thra being the Skeksis are you know, benevolent. And then they give... Know, technology, you know, the, the, the Sigourney Weaver opening is, if you're a fan, you've waited 37 years for that, yeah, like you guys, and you start watching the show, and you're like, what the hell have they done? You're like, yeah, I mean, are they crazy? And then you get your answer in episode seven with the puppet show, which is cool. And then, you know, that you understand that it was, a, you know, it was full, we were fooled by, you know, some kind of a, you know, fake story like we all are uh, so the, it, it, all that stuff is is more interesting it becomes more of a interactive viewing experience than just like you know let's re relax and just you know what you know you have to lean in uh, experience the story understand the characters and not do something else like you know you could do another shows. and that concludes part one of our interview with jeff addis will matthews and louis leterrier we hope you enjoyed the show and stay tuned next time for part two of our interview. If you'd like to get in contact with the podcast, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. We're on Twitter at darkcrystalpod, on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and the bell for future notifications on our videos. Thank you so much and stay tuned for more Trial by Stone.